0: Everybody. This is Matt Love. Welcome back to Ask Me Anything with Pastor J.D. Greer. Today we have a follow-up to last week's episode. Um, it just, you know, we felt like one episode really wasn't enough to cover the depth of this topic. I mean, this is a question I think we need to you know, spend some time on. So, J.D., let's keep the ball rolling with the, with the question, can a Christian be a socialist? Yeah, you know, Matt, last time we, we, we kind of started running up against time and just not wanting to hit this in too cheap of a way. I mean, this really is, we, we always say quick answers, but... Um, also just want to make sure that we took some time to think through this and not, not give too cheap of an answer. We divided this into a, a second part. So I'm answering the question, can a Christian be a socialist? And I want to make sure that I acknowledge what I said last time. It's that we're not usually talking about a complete worldview and there's what some would call socialistic elements and how we all approach. I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of degree. How much should the state control? How much should the market be free and unregulated? I don't know anybody that would say totally unregulated and the state should own nothing, but then different people have a, a different scale as to what, what would be most helpful. Um, I left off last time saying that um, in addition to some of the, tot- you know, kind of totalitarian nature of, and, and, the, and the the philosophical roots of socialism, that there were up another couple places that I, I thought socialism arose out of a worldview that contradicts a couple key biblical tenets. Here's what they are. Um, one is I, I don't know if it understands human depravity, namely that, um, you know, to use the the cliché, Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And when you've got a government that ultimately is in charge of everything, then those people that are in government will leverage that power to benefit not the people, but to benefit themselves. That's just how human, fallen humans are. I wish it weren't that way. And maybe one day in heaven, it won't be that way. But this side of heaven, any kind of body that has. Too much power is going to turn it toward, um, toward their own uh, leverage it for themselves. You know, I got a friend who she she, she leans socialist. Uh, you know, she's a friend and she's a good person. You know, and what she always points out to me is, she says, "You know, well, business owners are also depraved and they're greedy, and that's why the government needs to have a bigger hand because we can look and see how businesses." leverage their economic power to benefit a few at the expense of of many. Um, And and actually, I I get that. I I understand that. That's a real challenge. Um, But my response is always, well, the, the government that you want to control these businesses is made up of who? It's made up of people. And so if you assume that all people grow corrupt with power, the question is, how best do you fight the corruption that will inevitably grow? Is it by concentrating power in the hands of a few? Or is it by doing what you can to distribute power? The United States is typically understood that it's better to keep power distributed, whether that's politically through checks and balances or economically by a free market. And as one you know, business grows, and if they're not serving the people well, well, then you've got another business that can grow, and 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 that's the best way to keep the businesses in check. Um, true, business leaders might grow corrupt and greedy, but they they don't have the power to imprison, but the government leaders do, and so. Um, yes i'm worried about business leaders being corrupt but i'm i'm more worried about government leaders that have they have a much greater um, opportunity and a much greater tendency for total total control um, government by its very nature has incredible power and when when they're put in charge of everybody's livelihoods from top to bottom then it's massive corruption that that is almost always the result i think there's a lot to be said that the best way is to keep the economy free and the and let the market keep people fair. Now, again, I want we have already acknowledged that government does have a limited role in regulation and busting up monopolies and keeping people from abusing the system. But Christians would say that that role is limited because, again, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, historically, we acknowledge that there are some groups that have—they uh, have been kept out of um, the, the free market. I think particularly of the experience of people of color here and and that can call for some remedial ways that the government is trying to remove obstacles that that keep people uh, you know being able to access and have access to privileges it's equal opportunity though it's not equal equal accomplishment here's a way of summarize that if you assume everybody is depraved and that they're always going to leverage you know whatever they can control for power the question is how powerful you want any one of those groups of depraved people to, to, to be and what kind of power you want them to hold. Now, you know, if I know somebody's going to be corrupt, I'd rather them hold a knife than a nuclear bomb. So I prefer the way a free market keeps people's depravity in check to a group of government bureaucrats with, with much more expansive power. Um, here's the second thing I think uh, a lot of times socialism uh, doesn't really appreciate. And that is that the human dignity that, that God created people with, he gave humans the ability to prosper. And so government doesn't need to provide for people. Government needs to get out of the way when humans are given freedom and the obstacles are removed, then human beings can prosper. So I think biblically, I kind of see like government role is not to take care of people. God created man and woman and gave them said, Hey, you, you go out there and, and produce from the earth. The government just needs to, to keep thing keep obstacles away and um, remove things that, that that inhibit that flourishing. Typically, when you got a poor community that hasn't prospered, it's because there are obstacles there. And so, if you want to get engaged in activism, figure out what obstacles need to be removed and remove them. Because I'm just I'm just going to say, and I think history bears this out. Whenever those obstacles are removed, people advance themselves. Governments don't advance people; people advance people. What governments can do is remove obstacles and stay out of the way. Um, plus, I would just say that. Um, How I see um, creation. And again, I got plenty of economics books that bear this out. We live in a world of abundance, not a world of scarcity. So if you want everybody to be richer, you don't primarily take from the rich and give to the poor. I'm not saying there's never a role for that. I'm just saying primarily your strategy is to remove the obstacles that keep the poor from creating their own wealth. And anytime you see a poor community, you've almost always got obstacles. So if government can remove those obstacles, then the people will create their own wealth. The more that wealth is created, the more there is to share. Um, Sometimes governments need to keep the rich from keeping the poor down, but that's different than socialism where government takes a responsibility to take care of people. That's a different worldview. So bottom line here, government can help us play fair, but it cannot replace human initiative and should itself be held in check because government leaders are still human and they're subject to the same vices that they're trying to prevent in others i have to think you're mad of the words of winston churchill the free market strategy is the worst economic strategy ever devised except for every other financial strategy ever devised um, people a lot of times they would say well, what does the bible say specifically you know i don't have chapter and verse and that means we always got to be careful terms like capitalism socialism these are not terms that are in the bible they're developed long after the bible but i do think what i'm trying to say is there are certain principles the bible encourages human initiative it certainly commends private ownership um, it warns us against unchecked depravity. These are all things we learn from the Bible. And so I, I think what I'm saying is while I'm not, these things aren't directly in the Bible, I think the principles we're, we're speaking out of, um, they arise from the Bible. Um, a free market always creates some inequality. The Bible even acknowledges that, you know, like to some one man was given five talents and to another two and another one. But um, again, to quote Winston Churchill, capitalism might be an unequal share of happiness. But socialism is an equal share of misery, except for a handful of bureaucrats who live plush, like think like Hunger Games, you know, a few people with all the power that live richly economically. Now, again, this is a little out of my lane because I'm not an economist, but time and time again, you'll see that socialism has destroyed countries that embrace the ideology because it doesn't arise out of a biblical worldview. And it's a biblical worldview that leads to flourishing. Um, Hugo Chavez, Venezuela, he took over the one of the wealthiest nations in the world, rich with oil. Chavez's regime nationalized the means of production and they took over six million hectares of land from landowners within a 17 year period. In those two decades, Venezuela's food production fell 75 percent. In fact inflation right now is currently this is unbelievable at nearly 700 percent in Venezuela. If you study the history of the USSR, it's similar. I mean at first the communist system created some economic growth and and gave some food to the poor, but eventually, um, it stagnated. Their lack of innovation and market competition caught up with them, and it led the economy to fall off a cliff. Cuba, 1950s Cuba. If you, none of us remember this, but Cuba was a bustling, thriving island nation, you know. And 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 then it got subsidized by communist Russia, and it was keeping it alive. But then, when the USSR collapsed, if you just look at the last you know, three decades, Cuba's economy has completely collapsed. It's now a poor country with just a shell of a thriving community it once was, because of a failed, flawed centrally planned economy even if you're in some conversations people like what about sweden what about denmark and norway well first of all i would say those countries don't really have socialist systems at least not fully they're more like welfare states some of the factors that you know i don't still know if it's a fair comparison they've got sometimes really aggressive state-run entities like healthcare, but they're usually supported by an underlying market economy and even in those countries though there are signs I would say that they might have embraced socialism too much. Take, for example, Sweden in the 1970s. They were the fourth richest country in the world. By 1995, they had fallen to 14th and were creating virtually no new jobs. In fact, they they started to quietly walk back because they bragged about them so much. They quietly walked back some of their larger welfare state ambitions. They scaled back regulations. They cut taxes. And because of that, they started to become successful again. Denmark. It's another country that has some large state-run programs, but but if you look closely, it's undergirded by a free market economy. It's not wholesale state-run socialism. Matt, I'll just end this kind of two-session thing here saying I realize there's been a lot of different angles here. Um, you know, I try to be very gracious on this because, again, a lot of times it's usually a scale. And we're, we're we're talking about applying. What role does the government have in keeping people free? And there's, that, that can be a very complex discussion. And so I would just never say wholesale. No, you can't be a Christian and a socialist. What I'm encouraging you to do is to look at both the worldview and the implications, and then also look through the lens of your Bible. What it teaches about the world, the flourishing of the world, about human depravity, about the capabilities that go along with human dignity, and and then yeah, I mean you know, and my scale may be different than yours. How comfortable I am with how much government um, control and regulation. Maybe yours is a little more, maybe it's a little less. I don't think that's something we need to divide over in the church. I think we can be gracious toward each other. But we live in a fallen world and we know it'll never be perfect. Um, I know that socialism a lot of times has a utopic vision. I would say that in general, I think the approach that I would take would be built on the assumption that until Jesus comes back, all human structures, whether we're talking any kind of economic structure, any kind of government structure, a constitutional republic like the United States or any variation thereof—they're—they're they're going to be depraved. They're going to be run by depraved people, the fallen people. And the best way to keep depravity in check is to—to to not centralize power in the hands of a few, but to keep it distributed across people, um, because that's the best way in a fallen world to ensure that one person does not grow so powerful that they are—they have the the weapons in their hand to tyrannize others. Because human history will show us, if you have that kind of power, that's the way you use it. Thank you so much, J.D., for taking a bit more time with a, a challenging topic. Um, and if for some reason your podcast app played this episode before part one, make sure you go back and listen to the first part um, of J.D. answering this question because, uh, again, it's, it's a multi-part episode and, and just a tough question to answer. So we definitely want you to hear all of what J.D. had to say. So um, make sure you listen to part one, and we will see you next time on Ask Me Anything.